Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. And I'm Kathleen. And we are Loading Ready Run, a team of angler fishermen. Angler fish fishermen. If you need someone to go into the deeps of the sea and retrieve a horror better left undisturbed, we're your men and women. The deeps of the sea? Well, you know, like when you get down to like the Bethnic layer or whatever. You know, the t- the part of the sea where all the lobsters are white and hairy and it's just like, Ugh. Usually people say the depths of the sea or the deep sea. Don't judge me. <laughs> I do what I want. Haven't you seen those pictures of like the furry white lobsters? Oh yeah, no, it's it's super it's, unsettling. It's just, it's, it's like somebody sent an H.P. Lovecraft novel down there and they went, yeah, all right, and took it literally. Wow. In fact, what we are here to do is to take you into the deeps of Magnum P.I., Oh, no, it's okay for you to say it. The TV series, not the person. Does Magnum P.I. have a Bethnic zone? I don't know. This episode might be it. It's pretty low. <laughs> Kathleen's not a fan of this episode. No, this episode is ass. I'm I'm okay with it. This episode is major suck butt. It's pure garbage toilets. Well, you know whose butt it sucks. Mad Buck Gibson. Mad Buck Gibson. Also the namesake of this episode. The name of the episode is Mad Buck Gibson, season two, episode nine. Mad Buck Gibson, which begins with Mad... No, it's Magnum, actually. Because it begins with Magnum sw- swimming, and then about to grab his surf ski, which they're maintaining, that he surf skis for fun and fun, and tear into the ocean when Higgins shows up at the beach. This is not the beach outside Robin's Nest, by the way. This is a different beach. Higgins walks up and is like, oh, excuse me, old boy, and Magnum's trying to set a time. Yeah, he's like racing himself, which is a pretty common thing to do when you're, you know doing athletic pursuits you always want to beat your time and of course higgins is not interested in having a short conversation and magnum gets kind of fed up and is like ah what what is it i can't make a time now so whatever higgins issue is that magnum is encroaching slightly on higgins section of beach because you see he has rented that section of beach from the king kamehameha club for a croquet tournament some basically he's like you're on you're on my you're on my beach and magnum says what what do you mean your beach you have you claimed this somehow? And Higgins says, yeah, because I rented it or whatever. Don't forget, someone told us several episodes back, there's no such thing as private beaches in Hawaii. No, but I bet you can, in fact. Oh, I guess so. the King Kamehameha Club doesn't have a beach. No, so how can they be renting parts of... Because I mean, all I, the beaches have to be public. You, I wonder if that law was in place in the 1980s. It was. Oh. We looked into this. Oh, right. This is just a clever contrivance for the plot of the episode. Yes. Gets another toilet point. <laughs> Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the We're first time. This the fact that Robin points. Masters has the fact that Robin Masters has a beach, a so-called private section of shoreline, is also BS. Yes. However, this episode has bigger problems than beach ownership. And those problems are named Mad Buck Gibson. You're not going to get sick of doing that, are you? No, of course not. It's a ridiculous name. Magnum is like, all right, fine, I'll rake your stupid croquet sand. But then Rick runs up and goes, Magnum, there's a client at the club. You need to come and meet her. She's legit. Come on. And so Magnum goes, yeah, beats Rakin. The client is Joan Gibson, and she wants to hire Magnum to watch her ex-husband to make sure that he doesn't do anything stupid to injure or kill himself before she can get her alimony payments out of him. I mean, that seems right up Magnum's divorce alley. Her husband is noted author Buck Gibson, known colloquially as Mad Buck Gibson, because he's an adventure seeker. He's a free spirit. He's a daredevil, an adrenaline junkie. He's He's also played by the guy who plays the dad in A Christmas Story. 
So reconcile that in your head. Yeah, this is the actor is Darren McGavin. He's, He's got the same beard as uh, what's his face as had last episode. Gary, I think from the last episode. Gary. Yeah. So you have to imagine. Gary's beard. The father from the Christmas Story, right? Like that's a major award. That guy is a rough and tumble adventure author with a thick beard who likes to get into scraps because it makes him feel good. Yeah. Now it's a major award. I would have. I would have picked. Fragile. Fragile. As my must, Christmas story go-to line. Must be Italian. He would shoot the Christmas story only a year after doing this episode of Magnum. So, wow. literally, the dad from a Christmas story dressed in, like, khaki cargo everything. He actually is dressed kind of like Higgins, if you need to picture it. He, he really is, actually, yeah. I mean, maybe that's what men in their 40s or 50s wore when they wanted to be active and sporty, because there wasn't, like... Nike running gear invented at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren McGavin, by the way, um, born 1922, passed away in 2006 at the age of 83. Probably best known in popular culture as, as I said, the dad in A Christmas Story. He was also uh, the dad in Billy Madison. If anyone's interested in one of the two good Adam Sandler movies. I mean, somebody is. Somewhere there's a 17-year-old who's just discovering Adam Sandler. That kid's going to be so disappointed. <laughs> wow, yeah. His first role was, uh, well, his first credited role was Blonde Student in the 1946 movie Fear. So uh, he's been working for a while. He played a recurring role in 47 episodes of the TV series Crime Photographer. What a terrible name for a TV series. Crime Photographer. He also played Mike Hammer in the TV series Mike Hammer, 79 episodes of that, and Captain Holden in 42 episodes of Riverboat. Very descriptive TV series names. Those leave no questions to the imagination as to what you're getting into. It's not like, hey, sweetie, do you want to watch Crossing Jordan or do you want to watch Riverboat? Well, I think I know what I'm getting into with Riverboat, so let's go with that one. Mentally, I don't feel up to uh, figuring out what Crossing Jordan is going to be, so let's just go with the one that's a boat. Yeah. (laughs) This one for sure has boats in it. Uh, I mean, unless we're talking about the Jordan River. I mean, maybe that one also has boats, but no, that's all like a, was like a CSI type show. She was a medical examiner. I don't know. He also played uh, Carl Kolchak in Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Wow. He's really into these super descriptive things. No wonder he was in Magnum P.I. Once again, that's uh, what you see is what you get show name. So yeah, long and uh, full career for Darren McGavin. But in this episode, he's about to jump out of a plane. Actually, that's how he arrives in Hawaii. Yeah, they never get to deciding whether or not Magnum's going to take her case. Magnum feels a little weird about it because it's basically babysitting. Because babysitting a grown man. Well, because Magnum's problem with it is that he knows who Mad Buck Gibson is, and he's a friend of Robin Masters. Meaning, if he's coming to Hawaii, he's going to be staying at Robin's Nest. So it's perfect. And Joan's like, "Yeah, exactly. That's perfect." And Magnum says, "Well, that's a little weird that I'm supposed to be secretly like babysitting someone who's another house guest." Of Robbins that I'm like gonna be hanging out with anyway, just because we're at the same estate. That that's a little weird to me, sort of ethically. Jones less concerned about this, to be honest. But it doesn't matter because he's jumping out of a plane. Yep, he's uh, he's doing the whole skydiving thing, and then a parachute opens. But then they're like, "Oh my goodness, wait! The wind is not good. It's gonna blow him right into the reef, and he could drown. Oh no!" So Magnum is like, "Uh oh!" Starts paddling out into the surf, and Joan is like, "Does that mean you're taking my case?" But then just as Magnum gets into the surf, the wind changes direction and, oh no, it's going to blow him right into the croquet area that Higgins is setting up with some old lady. And Rex starts chasing down and going, Higgins, Higgins, look out, get out of the way, get out of the way. Uh, And then what happens, Graham? Buck 
rapidly descends, clobbers Higgins and his croquet friend, sends them both flying, appears injured himself, and we then cut to Higgins coming to in the hospital and describing to Magnum the litany of injuries he has suffered. Oh, what is it? It's something like two cracked ribs, a separated shoulder, injured pride. Like, the list goes on. Some sort of neck thing. Yeah. Magnum's like, what happened? Didn't you hear Rick yelling to look out and and look up and get out of the way? And he's like, yes, and I ignored him. So it's kind of like, well, it's your own fault, Higgins. Well, yeah, he says, I heard Rick yelling at me and consciously chose to ignore him (laughs) because he doesn't really like Rick very much, I guess. Higgins, somewhat groggily through probably some not insignificant amount of painkillers, comes to realize who exactly it was who hit him. And this growing look of horror spreads over his face as he realizes it's Mad Buck Gibson. (laughs) He asks Magnum if it's too much to hope that Mr. Gibson will be immediately leaving the island, to which Magnum says no. He says, so does that mean that he'll be staying at the estate as a special guest of Robin Masters? Magnum says yes. Higgins and he's going like, to pick him up. I, I'll be here in the hospital for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Magnum steps out into the hall where Mad Buck Gibson is... Sexually harassing a girl who's pushing him around in a wheelchair. Let's just cut to the chase here. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. He's um, laying thick Mac down on uh, this nurse. He says, if I were two years younger... I would You'd be in trouble or something like that's that. That's revolting. Never say that to a per- Don't say that to a boy. Don't say it to a girl. Don't say it to anybody of any gen- Don't say that. If he were two years younger, he'd still be old enough to be her grandfather. It's so gross. And don't say you'll be in trouble as in I'll like, try to date you. That has different connotations. Yeah. I mean, I think this whole thing is supposed to be played as Mad Buck Gibson is a charming womanizer. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll give it to a different time count. But mm-hmm. nowadays it's just like Ugh. this poor girl is having to push him around and sort of endure him hitting on her with a smile. Yep. She's just like, hey, the whole time. He's also like, no, I don't need this wheelchair. I'm fine. And he's like, dude, your leg's in the cast. He's like, yeah, whatever. I got crutches. I'll do that. Actually, you know what, Magnum? Here, hold the one crutch. I'll be faster with just one crutch. Race you to the door. And then he like hops down the hall and yells, I win. And at this point, I realize that I am not watching Mad Bug Gibson. I am watching my own father. This is literally my dad. Ex- minus the horrible sexual harassment. My dad respects women. Yeah. Uh, but like he wouldn't do that. But the whole like, oh, my foot's broken. Well, that's okay. I'll hop around on these crutches and take and race you and then say I won. That's my dad. That is literally my own father. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating in person as it is in this episode. Upon what birthday of his did he similarly jump out of a plane uh, my dad actually did go skydiving for his 60th birthday yeah he was all very coy about it he's like i've got a dvd to show you and it's the dvd of him jumping out of the plane and it's just like ah he is the sort of person who if he had broken an ankle would try to race you to the door on one crutch absolutely this is like i we're this not made, joking this made the episode considerably more difficult for kathleen to endure yes anyhow so mad dave devere uh <laughs> They head back to Robin's Nest, where Magnum meets with Mrs. Gibson. Who somehow just gets led into the estate by the gardener. Yeah, it's a little weird. And Magnum Magnum is sympathetic to Mad Buck. It's weird. This I don't fully understand it. I mean, he explains his reasoning in the episode, but I don't... Uh, this is one of those things where it's like, Magnum is smarter than this. Because he's saying he doesn't agree with the so- sort of things that Buck is doing, putting himself in harm's way and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But that he understands... And Joan is like, what What do you mean? Am, am I paying you to protect this guy or not? Well, and Magnum's like, it's, you know, it's like 
feeling alive again and stuff like that. Especially when you're old and, you know, you don't walk as fast as you used to and stuff like that. It's proving that you're still young and virile. And you can absolutely do that, but sometimes people do that in stupid ways that are dangerous. He's basically describing some sort of midlife crisis cranked up to 11. Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, I'm getting old? All right, time to skydive out of a plane. Time to do other ridiculous things, which we'll discuss in the course of this episode, just so I can pretend that I'm still youthful, even though it's incredibly dangerous and I'm damaging other people's property. I have no sympathy for this. It's inconsiderate. Brief aside, someone on the Magnum Mania website took the time to do some math, and uh, if you, as Joan Gibson said, took an early flight from New York, let's uh, ballpark it at 6 a.m. Yeah, that's a very early flight. Then you would land on Oahu 12 or more hours later at about 10.30 a.m., the way that time zones work and all that, meaning that he would have been on like a 12-hour nonstop flight, gotten off, then gotten went to a skydiving place to go up so that he could arrive at the King Kamehameha Club. Note, he doesn't know Joan is there, by the way. No. This is just him making an entrance at the King Kamehameha Club. Where he's presumably a member. It's laborious, and I, it's sort of unbelievable. Yeah, also, I don't think that uh, any, repu- uh, any reputable skydiving outfit is going to let you just, you know, parachute over a dangerous place that, you know, water and reefs and places where people are hanging out. Normally they take you out to a field if you don't know how to skydive. Because then the only person you can hurt is yourself. Well, I presumably, because he mentions it later, that he I, he skydives frequently. Because he mentions later that he always pulls the ripcord too soon or whatever. We'll get, we'll get to that later. I still don't think a reputable skydiving outfit would take you out here. Probably not. Magnum wakes up the next morning to the sound of gunfire. He immediately uh, dives behind his bed and looks for a gun. He can't find his gun, which is a, not a good sign. Gunfire continues, by the way, through all of this. And it seems to be coming from the bathroom? But yeah, it's not like, bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam, bam. It's like, bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Bam, bam. It's very regular. It's, it's one, re- two, three. It's very weird. And so Magnum goes into the bathroom, and there's Mad Buck. Sitting in his tub. In the bathtub, shooting at the wall. He's drawn a little crude outline. Of a, of a head and shoulders. Yeah. Now, to keep in mind, this is his Magnum's group- tub. His, his grouping is impressive, but he's yeah. only about six feet away. This is Magnum's tub. Yep. This is... Magnum's gun. Mm-hmm. This is presumably Magnum's ammo. Mm-hmm. Also, there's not enough foam on this, so I like we can't see anything. But Magnum is totally seeing Mad Buck Gibson's Mad Buck Dong. Yeah. So there's a crazy naked man shooting at his wall. Shooting at Robin Masters' wall. Oh, that's true. Actually. Which Magnum's very clear about. And to which Mad Buck Gibson says, "What are you, Higgins? Oh, daggers! Ouch!" But he, seriously, he starts talking about how he's he's practicing. I don't know why Mad Buck thinks he needs to practice gunfire, by the way. This man is an author. At 8 a.m. in the morning, A Pulp Fiction author. But he talks about practicing the Mozambique technique. Is that a real thing? This is a real thing. Uh, The Mozambique drill, also known as the failure drill or the failure to stop drill, or informally, two to the chest, one to the head. I mean, that seems like a good recipe for dealing with a lot of things. It's a close-quarter shooting technique that requires the shooter to fire twice into the torso of a target. Bears. uh, Known as a double tap to the center of mass. Rapidly assess whether the target has been stopped. Poachers. And follow up, if necessary, with a more difficult headshot that, if properly placed, will instantly kill. Angry wasps. So Magnum is like, okay, Buck, that's nice. You're shooting 45 caliber rounds, which could have traveled through the wall and hit me in bed. Also, you are ruining the wall. 
And to which Buck says, Oh no! I'm making it better! It's an art project now! This is literally something that my dad has said to me when he has done something destructive. <laughs> For my dad's benefit, it's usually destructive sort of in the name of carrying on with some sort of construction project. But uh, it is not unheard of for my dad to be like, ha ha ha, and like load a screw into a drill and like drill into like a random piece of wood that he's going to get rid of or tear apart or something. and be like, die, die. And I'm like, dad, just build the thing. And he's like, no, I'm making an art project. We know this man in real life. I love my dad. He's actually a really nice person. This didn't make you empathize with Mad Buck Gibson anymore, though, did it? No. All right. Magnum goes outside, unable to stop Mad Buck from doing these things. Uh, Higgins has arrived home and is hobbling over to the guest house to check on, you know, the gunfire. And and Magnum's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Higgins is like, no, I distinctly heard 12, 12 shots in the Mozambique pattern, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. And you continue through this scene, you continue hearing bang, 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 just at intervals through this conversation. Higgins really wants Mad Buck gone. He asks... Magnum, tell me, do you think that the, I want to say, Neapolitan-style fountain in the courtyard looks good beside the Rolls-Royce nearby? Magnum's and like, what are you talking about? We don't have a fountain or a Rolls-Royce here. <laughs> yeah, Magnum's like, wow, you hit your head more harder than we thought. Yeah. And Higgins responds, yeah, we had both of those things once, until Mad Buck crashed the Rolls-Royce into the fountain the last time he was here. No, he's trying to jump the fountain. Trying to jump the fountain. <laughs> So he really wants Mad Buck basically babysat and... Escorted from the premises as fast as possible. Yeah, without being super rude about it. Magnum asks for a bunch of amenities, uh, including the tennis courts and the wine cellar and... Something else. Something else. Maybe the sauna or the pool or something. For three months. For three months. And Higgins says one month and no wine cellar and then... Magnum says two months, and then yes, the wine cellar. And by the way, the gunfire is still going on, so Higgins just says, fine, go, deal with it. And we get, oh, man, we haven't had a look at the camera like this for episodes. Oh, yeah. Magnum, like, looks at the camera, Higgins walks off, and then Magnum looks at the camera again. This is a crap-eating grin. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But it's also kind of a, ugh, now I really do have to deal with Bug Gibson look. So they go to Hotel Street for some beers. Yeah, Magnum's like, here, get out of my tub and stop trying to kill people by accident. Let's go for drinks, because you know what a dangerous person like you needs? Alcohol. Yeah. Yes. That'll be fantastic. So we go to the bar from, actually from the first episode, mm. where Rick and TC are hanging out. Uh, TC, by the way, in a rare moment of seeing TC flustered, is a huge fan of, Mad Buck, of Gibson. Mad Buck Gibson. He's just sort of like, he fanboys out completely. It's really cute. And Normally TC's very sensible and composed. He asks Buck if he can look at a uh, story he's working on, and Buck says fine. And Buck knows the bartender, of course, which is uh, Gorilla. What a colorful name. Played by Peter Kalua. Well, like the booze. Yep. Who has only ever appeared in TV series shot in Hawaii. All right, that makes sense. Oh, and Jake and the Fat Man, which may have been shot in Hawaii. I don't actually know. He also played the bartender in this bar in Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii, the, the, the pilot. Oh. This is weird. That bartender's name was Kono. Okay, now he's Gorilla. He will play Kono again in season four in an episode called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Huh. He will also play three other roles of different names hmm. over the course of the show. Well, you know what, though? Even though his last name is Abuz, I bet nobody teased him because this guy is big. Very, he's a very, very tall, large very man. wide man. And what does Mad Buck order? The bazooka? The bazooka, which is some sort of horrible blue shot. Later in this episode, Buck will try to recreate 
the bazooka. Yes. And he settles on as his recipe both rums, light and dark. Okay, that's something you see in like a zombie and stuff. Guava. Also okay. And creme de menthe. Okay, now you've lost me. And he tries it and says it's good, but it needs ouzo. <laughs> ouzo is black licorice flavored. And somehow this comes out, yeah, murky blue. I mean, with the creme de menthe, right? Because that's usually green. And so if the guava and the juice... guava, I guess, is yellow and you is, get some yeah. blue out of it, kind of, even though that doesn't, it's blue and yellow make green, but maybe... But, well, it's murky because of the guava juice. Yeah. I mean, like, this is probably more realistic than the green foamy shake that Magnum had in an earlier episode. It sounds awful. And he oh, orders, yeah, he orders like doubles for the table and Magnum's like, I'll have a beer, please. The bartender looks at Magnum askance because he's having a beer. But Magnum did drive over here, so, you know, by 1980 standards, that's, that's being the DD. Yeah. It's worth noting that they are in a booth, and they are seated Rick, TC, Madbuck Gibson, and Magnum, mm -hmm. meaning that when Joan Gibson suddenly appears, Buck can't actually get out of the booth. When birds suddenly appear, Joan Gibson draws near. Joan Gibson, by the way, played by Vera Miles, whose first credited role on IMDb is the uh, TV series Fireside Theater in 1951. Also very descriptive. I bet they told stories by the fire. Mm-hmm. She stopped acting in 1995 after Separate Lives, was in some episodes of Murder, She Wrote, in some episodes of Hotel. She was in Simon and Simon, I see. Simon and Simon, The Love Boat. 1980 sitcoms. Yeah, she had a uh, long career acting in various uh, TV bit parts and lots of TV movies as well, uh, all the way through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Is she still alive? She is. She was born in 1929, so she's getting on a bit, but she is still with us. But she's retired. Yes. I mean, she retired 20 years ago. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. She's really good in this episode, by the way. Yeah, she's great. Mm -hmm. She's showing up, by the way, to serve Buck with papers. Which Buck refuses to take them. Yeah. he Well, he isn't really given a choice, but, uh, well, she gives them to TC to give to him, and Buck is basically like, he. I can't remember exactly what he says. He basically says bros before hoes. Because he and TC are now friends, you see. That he would never, he wouldn't let a friend be put in an awkward situation. So now that TC has it, he has to take it. Mm. Because otherwise TC is in this awkward limbo limbo between them. And so he's like, all right, all right, fine, TC, whatever, I got this. And then tears it up. And He also calls her a tarantula. Which is a weird one. I mean, I, I feel it's creative, but I think an author could come up with something better. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, she says that she has a car trunk full of court orders and plenty of uh, process servers ready to deliver them and uh, he'll get served eventually he is uh very loud and very upset and is really angry and somehow in this process by the way joan leaves after this and he yells at her but somehow as he's yelling at her out the door he pisses off somebody else who's in the bar and at this point, you'd think, oh, well, that's okay. He knows the bartender personally. The bartender will tell this other guy who's start starting to scream at Mad Buck Gibson to chill. But, but instead, nobody makes an effort to interfere. And then Buck, with a broken leg, sort of hops out over Magnum out of the booth and is like, I'm going to kick your ass, Sonny. Magnum's like, no, 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 no. Because this guy is huge. Magnum sort of jumps up and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's settle this amicably. Gets knocked the F out. Uh, and he will sport that bruise sort of like in his uh, high right cheek for the rest of the show. So good job, makeup department, for consistency there. Uh, and then Rick tries to come in and is very ineffectual and uh, is picked up and thrown into some stools. And then TC comes in and actually is able to sub subdue this monster because TC is the muscle, of course. Buck finally knocks him out by breaking a glass over the back of his head. And Magnum is like, Buck, you are insane. And Buck's like, ha ha, I think I broke my hand. 
It is very Phil Ken Seven, isn't it? It is. Ha ha! And so we cut to the hospital, where we see Mad. But no, actually, we see Rick with his jaw wired shut, reading aloud a book that he is now writing because yes. Mad Bud Gibson is apparently inspiring everyone to write. Oh, Rick's Rick's. Uh, what what is Rick's book called? Rick's book, because TC comes in and tears the manuscript away from him, is called Saigon Sex Machine. This sounds like something Rick would write. It also sounds like something a 12-year-old boy would write. And it's all about the adventures of this uh, manly GI in Vietnam who's... sex with a lot of people. Whose physical description seems to match Rick's. Well, except taller. Yeah, well, yeah. TC laughs at him a ton for this, by the way. I mean, that's fair. The book is stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Follow your dreams, kids. Content that Rick is at least okay, even though his jaw is wired shut. Goes outside and starts talking to Buck, who uh, now with his foot in a cast from yesterday and now his hand in a cast from today, wants to hang glide D28 miles to Molokai. And Maggie was like, no. Specifically, 28 miles over the roughest channel in the Hawaiian Islands, so says Magnum. I mean, I believe him, I guess. It doesn't matter if it's the roughest channel in the Hawaiian Islands. That's the kind of thing that you tell these people anyhow, just in case. It's like, no. You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that because it's really dangerous. You were making up excuses to make them not stupid. So uh, Molokai is the nearest Hawaiian island, but that's that's not saying a lot. Magnum tries to appeal to Buck, basically saying that you know he gets it. You know he's getting on. You you're fighting this feeling that you're getting older, but you don't have to keep doing this. And Buck says, "Actually, I do," and leaves. And Magnum's like, "Oh, that's weird." And then a doctor comes up and asks if she can ask Magnum some questions about Buck's medical history. And Magnum is sort of a little nonplussed because he doesn't know anything about Buck's medical history. He's like, why are you asking me? He's like, why? And she says, well, it's a little weird because... Well, uh, for one thing, Buck wouldn't talk to her about his medical history. So she's kind of in a desperation situation of asking the people he came in with. Yeah, and he's... Like you do for senile old people. Yeah, and and she says, like, spontaneous fractures and Magnum says, well, parachute crash and a bar fight is not really what I would call spontaneous. And she says, yes, but I looked at those, and the fractures are there, but there's no actual trauma to his hand or foot. So, basically, Buck has bonitis. Oh no, he's got the wibbly bones. (laughs) He's got some sort of bone troubles. He's not a bonesman. Like there's something wrong with him. Oh well, they're okay. There's a lot of things wrong with Buck. Yeah. He's like, and I'm. We joked earlier in the episode that this this guy is my dad. My dad's not this stupid no. or this inconsiderate. This no. is like my dad dialed up to eleven, and then with all of the common sense sucked out and put into a jar somewhere. Yeah. So back at Robin's nest, Magnum sort of talks himself into going through Buck's overnight bag because, as he says, I mean, it's it's still my bathroom, and in it he finds. Some bone pills. Prescription pain pills writ with a prescription from Dr. Murphy. And then we go to Buck, who is hanging out with TC. Buck has made his home homebrew bazookas. He explains to TC what's in it, and TC's like, oh, no, man, I'm driving. Yeah, no, thanks. I can't. No, thank <laughs> you, though. And Buck starts reading through TC's manuscript, which sounds very similar to Rick's manuscript. Yes, except practically the hero, identical. The hero is, in fact, a, a large, delicious chocolate man, but it's basically the same plot. Named Otis. This is definitely the kind of thing a 13 year old boy would be into writing yeah. and reading. Mostly reading. Reading while discovering oneself. Then, gross. Buck sees Mrs. Gibson arriving at Robin's Nest and sort of makes excuses for TC to leave. He's like, I want to read the manuscript by myself. Do you want this bazooka for the road? And TC excuses himself politely. And we see Mrs. Gibson meeting up with 
Magnum. This is, I guess we never pointed this out. Not just ex-wife, but first wife of many four? I think so. Yeah. Uh, apparently, after divorcing his first wife, Buck Gibson's tastes went more to, I think she describes it as chorus girls and uh, girls whose measurements put together exceed their IQ. Snap. I like Mrs. Gibson. She is a funny lady. So we now go to her meeting with Magnum. Magnum does his usual, yeah, so I don't like being messed with. Why don't you tell me the truth? Mm-hmm. And so she comes clean that she's not looking for alimony. She doesn't actually, that's not a thing. She doesn't care. She just, there is something actually wrong with him. Like, he's had calcium problems his whole life. He went to the doctor for tests. It's probably nothing. But before the results were even back, he ran off from New York. He didn't even want to hear the results. And she's, you know, she's worried about him. Because she actually genuinely does care, even though he's a lughead. So what was she serving him with? Probably nothing. She probably knew he wouldn't read it and would just rip it up. And I guess she cooked up this whole story so she wouldn't have to tell Magnum about somebody else's confidential medical issues. I mean, that makes more sense. Yeah. Of course, Magnum phoned Dr. Murphy in New York. That's how he gets Joan to spill the beans, is he's like, why don't you tell me about Dr. Murphy in New York? And mm-hmm. she says, "What? how do you know about him? And he explains. Yeah, she's annoyed. She's like, I thought I was hiring a bodyguard, not an investigator. The conversation is broken up by the sound of a car peeling out because Buck has seen that they're meeting and decides it's time to act out irrationally. Yeah, he, like a child, he throws a tantrum. However, unlike a child, Buck has a driver's license. And a Ferrari. Well, the, Robin's Ferrari. Magnum's Ferrari. And uh, so Buck tears off, and Magnum comes running after him. And Higgins is like, rah, to Magnum. And Magnum's like, Higgins, just give me the keys to the Audi right now. And Higgins is like, okay. <laughs> so they take off. It's a car chase. Buck almost sideswipes somebody and drives them into some trees. Yeah, he runs a guy right off the road. It's amazing that guy's okay. He kind of, like, leans out of his car and does the fish shaky thing after. Yeah. Buck drives by. Like, it's so incredibly dangerous, and he's, like, swerving in and out of traffic, and, and, and it's really awful. And then eventually he sees some goats, and then, like, because he won't swerve for a car full of humans, but he will swerve for a goat, he drives into a fence and crashes the Ferrari. So Magnum finally catches up with him. Buck bemoans. He's like, why do I always swerve for animals? And uh, he gets out of the car. They talk for a bit. Magnum has this little speech where um, he says it's, he used to talk to his dad when he was a kid. And one summer, his dad talked to him after he got passed over by two major league baseball scouts. This was, I guess, in high school. Yeah. Now note that Magnum is a, an ace football and baseball player. Yeah. Such a jock. Well, obviously not because he got passed over by two scouts. That's true. And his dad said that uh, baseball only lasts the summer, however long that summer is. Okay, if you define yourself by your physical abilities, your definition of yourself will wane over time. So it's important to cultivate many things in your life that you're passionate about and are important to you. That was much better worded than it was in the episode. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was a lot briefer, too. Yeah. I mean, that's a good message, but God, Magnum takes like three minutes to tell this story. Yeah. It's worth noting in the trivia that um, in a later episode, Magnum will say that he was still a kid when his dad was killed. His dad was killed, by the way. Um, But here, he's like old enough to be theoretically being scouted by Major League Scout. There's a timeline. It doesn't matter. You know what? That's annoying that they can get Rick's bar right, but they can't get the continuity of Magnum's dad. (laughs) There's a cool shot here, by the way, with the camera in uh, the passenger seat of the Audi, where it's... uh, Sort of looking at the Ferrari having crashed and then moving, swinging back around to Magnum, who gets out and then following Magnum as he walks around the front of the car into the field. Mm-hmm. Just sort of cool. So then we go back to Robin's Nest, to the guest house. Magnum's walking around. Buck is lying on the couch reading TC's manuscript, which apparently is not bad. 
Apparently the plot's thin. It doesn't sound terrible, the parts he's reading out. No, it's better than Saigon Sex Machine. Yeah. This, by the way, um, if if not a single take, this scene has uh, no more than three very long takes. I actually meant to go back and watch this again, but this scene, I believe it's all one take. Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. But it mo- the camera moves around and reframes a lot. Like this is this is a like a classic like oneer. Uh, it's like it's a wide shot of the room, then it moves in on Magnum, then it's on the like side on to Buck, and then Buck stands up at the phone and it reframes around. It's like it's really nice. I was yeah. It must have taken all day to get this scene. It, it's tough because it's it's one of those ones where it's it's a one take that doesn't look like it because the camera reframes so much, meaning mm-hmm. it's like for film fans like myself, meaning it's way cooler. I didn't notice. I did, and I was like, this is cool. Good job. I think this is really neat. So the phone rings. It's TC. How's the book coming? What do you think? Uh, it's good, I guess. It's yeah. Keep re- I'll keep reading it. It's uh yeah. Good job, TC. I mean, Mad Buck sounds sincere. Yeah. He does actually sound sincere. It's apparently the book's pretty good. Yay, TC. Hangs back up. Phone immediately rings again. Phone immediately rings again, and Buck goes, "Well, I'm gonna go for a walk. Excuse me." Makes for the door. Magnum picks up, and it's Doctor Murphy. So he's like, "Yeah, one second calls after Buck and says, Buck, it's Dr. Murphy. You need to take this call. And so Buck goes over. He's standing with the phone. He He says to Dr. Murphy, of course I'm sitting down. Well, clearly standing. And Magnum's giving him like a death glare in the background. And then he says, really? Is it? Is that all? Oh, fantastic. Well, great. No, no. No, yeah. No, thank you. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Murphy. All right. Bye-bye. Hangs up the phone. Turns to Magnum. Well, I really do have bone cancer. Ha ha! It's very Phil Ken Seven. It's very Lisa's mother from the room, actually. Oh yeah. When she's like, I definitely have breast cancer. Okay, let's he's, talk about important things. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, I turns out I really do have uh, bone cancer. But the scene, this scene, unlike the room, which is comical in its badness, this scene takes on a more sort of dire tone because it's like, oh, he can't. He's actually not able to correctly process this information. I think he actually says, I'm going to die soon. It's really grim. Yeah. And uh, Magnum's like, whoa. Magnum now wakes up. With a horrible hangover. Because he's been drugged. Buck apparently made him some sort of medicine cabinet concoction, the origin and, and ingredients of which are supposedly unclear, but Magnum's got a really awful hangover. So my sympathy for Buck Gibson has evaporated considerably, considering he spent the night intoxicating Magnum on purpose. To be clear, he didn't intoxicate him on purpose. He also drugged him. Like, he didn't just make him a cocktail from things in the medicine cabinet. He, like, actually knocked Magnum out. Mm-hmm. Joan is arriving at the guest house because she's just heard from Dr. Murphy and is looking for Buck, and Magnum's just found a note that says, Tell Joan she's a brick. I'll see you in Asgard. Which Magnum does not get. He's like, Asgard? I don't know that. Now, luckily for us... We know. We've seen Marvel's Thor, so we know all about Asgard. But in 1981, Magnum's like, what's what's where is it, what's an Asgard? Yeah. And she's like, no, you did the Norse afterlife. It's weird. They sort of dance around it, but no one actually says in the in this scene or the following scenes, no one actually says he's going to kill himself. But that is exactly what he's going to do. But that's what everyone is aware of and acknowledges. But no one actually uses those words. It must be a TV taboo thing. Well, yeah. So. I'm actually going to circle back to that, but Magnum goes outside and sees Higgins, who is so happy because he can hear just from the lack of crazy ramblings that there is a great weight lifted off of Robin's nest, that of Mad Buck Gibson, and hopefully he will never return. Magnum doesn't react super well to 
that particular sentiment, given what we were just talking about. I mean, Higgins doesn't know. No, Higgins doesn't know either. He, apparently, he left a blank check to cover damages, which is more than he usually does. Yeah, which is another, like, primo sign of intended suicide. Yes. Um, Higgins is just grateful that he's not there to hurt him any longer. Yeah. And in Higgins' defense, that's he, okay. He is still in a cervical collar and arm sling, so he, he maybe yeah. he has a slightly different perspective than we do. Magnum tears back down to Hotel Street and goes to that bar because he, he he doesn't know where Buck could have gone, so he's got to start there. He still has this the worst headache, by the way. Mm-hmm. But he goes in and Gorilla is there. Gorilla is the type of bartender that sweeps the bar mess back into the chip bowl. Yeah, like there's a bunch of like spilled chips and stuff on the bar. So she, like they've probably been sitting in like beer and he's like, meh, sweeps them back into the chip bowl, push the chip bowl back out in front of another patron. It's like, bah. Magnum's trying to get information out of Gorilla and he says that he's a friend and he's trying to help Buck. And Gorilla says, well, I don't know any friend of Buck's that won't drink a bazooka. Magnum's like... And puts a bazooka down in front of him. I'm trying to help him. I'm And I'm also driving. And Gorilla just stares at him. So Magnum's like, all right. And he drinks the well stupid, he takes a sip he, he he drinks like a quarter of it yeah and then gives him like a death glare and uh off camera gorilla tells him what's up which of course is he's gonna try and hang glide to molokai <laughs> magnum catches up with him at the popular hang gliding spot on the kamehame ridge which is a real place and the location is very close to the real life uh setting for the robin's nest the kamehame ridge by the way is theoretically a place where you would hang glide from if you were trying to get to Molokai, which, again, you shouldn't and is not... You you can't. You can't actually... It's so dangerous. Yeah, it's super dangerous. Not that we know anything about hang gliding, but we do know a little bit about something about not doing dumb things. But if you were trying to get there... If you were trying to kill yourself by hang gliding to Molokai... It's the closest place to jump from, so... Uh, Anyhow, they have a long discussion and Magnum's like, for God's sakes, you could get treatment or do other things or something. And he's just like, no, I refuse. They'll, I don't want to die in pieces. I'm, I'm an adult. I do what I want. I'm never going to be afraid of death. Uh. Yeah, that's that's his argument is that he, he says he never wants to be afraid of death, but he is. He, he says he always hits the, you know, he tries to be a daredevil to sort of do that, but he always pulls the ripcord too soon. He can't allow himself to sort of fully commit to this sort of daredevil stuff because he is afraid of death. I would actually think if you talk to people who actually do stunts and like actual daredevil stuff for a living that they would say, no, you should be afraid of death because you don't want to die doing it. You want to do things as safely as possible. Like I've never met a stunt man or I've seen an interview with a stunt man or any of these people who are just like, yeah, fuck it, let's go, woo, right? All these people take their jobs very seriously. But that's his reasoning, at least the reasoning he gives Magnum. Basically, he's saying he's going out on his own terms. Okay. Magnum tries to continue to talk about it. You know, people like what you are. and They like Mad Buck Gibson. They, they respect the way you live. To which he says, well, then they can respect the way I'll die. Keep in mind, he's just been told he has cancer. He hasn't been told he has terminal cancer. He hasn't been told that he is definitely going to die. He hasn't been told that he has untreatable cancer. Even Jones says that there's every possibility of remission. Yeah, like, it's just like, you have cancer, you need treatment for cancer. It's not, you have cancer and you have six weeks to live, right? Like, it was a very brief conversation. There was not time for that kind of information to be transmitted. And so Magnum steps in front of the hang glider puts his hands on it because Buck continues to get inside and then Magnum lets him go. And that's the end of the episode. 
He lets him go, and then there's 30 seconds of beautiful shots of the hang glider catching thermals and fly, flying up into gorgeous clouds, reverse shots of Magnum watching, this musical underscore. You hear Buck say, don't worry, Magnum, with my luck, I'll probably make it. And then that's it. That's the end of the episode. Magnum let this guy hang glide off to die because he was convincing enough that Magnum believed that this was the correct course of action. That's stupid. That's toilets. Like, Garbage. It's dumb. I guess it's supposed to be beautiful and life-affirming in some sort of stupid way. I, th- I think that's what they were going for. Like, I don't want to get into a discussion on the merits of assisted suicide on this podcast, but generally, I believe that if someone, you know, is, for whatever medical reason, truly just wants to end their pain and suffering, that they should probably be allowed to do that. Well, this is actually a case that's going to go to the Canadian Supreme Court. Really? Yes. Uh, It's kind of sort of winding its way through now about uh, the assisted suicide. But nobody who is in favor of assisted suicide would be like, all right, so, you know, if you're told you have cancer, you should fling yourself off the nearest mountain. Right? It's like if you are in a sort of a terminal palliative care situation that you should be allowed to say, you know what? When I am in too much pain to continue, please let me choose the time of my life instead of sort of keeping me indefinitely on life support, uh, even though I am barely alive and unconscious. It bothered me earlier in the episode when Magnum was talking to Joan on the two occasions that they had this sort of discussion where he's trying to bring her on side with Buck's view of this mm-hmm. where it's like hey you know it's uh it's a man thing it's yeah it's it's you know it's when guys get to a certain age and they don't you know it's midlife crisisy but it's you feel like, by the way this is this feeling applies to everybody i don't know why magnum seems to be taking this sort of like when a guy gets to a certain age kind of tack with it it was but a it's like time. obviously as you get older you aren't able to do the same things that you could before and if you are used to being independent and and uh, adrenaline junkie and stuff like that, then that sucks. I mean, there comes a time in everybody's but, life when they have to reckon with their own mortality. Yeah, but when Joan's like, he's doing crazy things, and Magnum says, yeah, but I can kind of understand it. For me, that felt out of character for Magnum. Yeah. Letting this guy go to his certain doom. And the thing is, like, it's not like he hang glides off into the clouds and is never seen again. He's going to crash in the channel and drown. Yeah. That's awful. I don't believe this is in character for Magnum at all. I I, I really object to this ending. It's not like he's going down to the Bermuda Triangle. Like, the the channel between Molokai and Oahu is well-traveled. But they're still going to have to, like, deal with, like, finding his body, and there's sharks out there, and the remains, and then having somebody declared legally dead. And, like, Magnum's opening up himself up to a whole litigious can of worms of why didn't you stop this guy? There's other, there's witnesses. There's other hang gliders there. I didn't even have a problem with Magnum buying into the ESP stuff. This, from a character point, really bothers me. That he would just let this man go to his death. For no reason. Like, if he's like, you're absolutely going to die in the next six weeks, that's very different. Even even then, I get the idea of like, you're going to die soon, so let's do crazy hang gliding stuff. But hang gliding stuff that you'll survive from, yeah, like you said, it's legally irresponsible. (laughs) And it's not actually, I can't believe that Magnum would believe that this was actually best for this person, as a person. I I didn't like this ending at all. This is in no way justification. I was frankly appalled. 
This is in no way a justification. But it's more romantic to die trying to hand glide to Molokai than it is to die from cancer in your own home. Absolutely, and I get that. I get that that's what Buck wanted to do. But I can't believe that Magnum would agree. I don't even think that what Buck said was that convincing. No, not really. I would have knocked the guy out. If I was Magnum, I'd be like, that's great. Whap. That's true. You did keep saying that during this scene. Just punch him. He's got brittle bones. I think Kathleen said just punch him probably like six or seven times before we realized it was apparent that he was just going to let him go. I know what they were trying for. I understand. I appreciate the intent. I don't think it worked. And I think it was ill-advised to have tried in this in, in this case. Yeah, I don't think there's a way to make it look. There's like sometimes when we're, when we're writing stuff, we come up with jokes that are, you know, maybe a little close to the line and maybe a little over the line. And sometimes people, you know, will pitch like, what about this joke that's over the line? And we're like, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. I understand why that would be funny but I don't think we can make it work in a way that will actually make it come across properly, so we're not going to do it. And I think they should have done that here, because I don't think that what they were trying to do was actually something that they could do. No, not in this situation. I remarked, because the credits started to go, I was like, did they just fucking run out of time? (laughs) (laughs) They were like, oh, man, we're already on, like, page 25, I guess. Um, Then Magnum uh, lets him go. Nice shots of some him flying into some clouds. Is that good? Good? Are we all good? Great. All right. Lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Cocktails. <laughs> Let's all have bazookas. Uh, but yeah, like seriously, I think the, the better ending is Magnum is just like, you still have people who care about you. You know, Joan comes up and she, and then they have a moment where they have some closure between these two characters. And he realizes that despite all of this self-destructive behavior, there are people who genuinely care about his well-being and want him to be happy. And that may be hand gliding to Molokai, or it might be spending time with them and trying to do that before he decides to end his own life. Or at least, you know, close these things. Mm -hmm. You know, that would have been a much more emotionally satisfying ending, I think. I agree. This episode was written, by the way, by uh, Robert Hamilton. Kathleen's eyes just widened in shock. This guy? (laughs) The writer of Adelaide and The Black Orchid and Beauty Knows No Pain. But uh, yeah, so the guy that writes all the episodes we hate. Ah! I had no idea until now. I don't want. I don't want to look ahead in in most instances because I, I just know that'll like set me up for disappointment. But I know the next time I see his name in the opening credits, I'm going to be bummed immediately. So basically, what you're telling me, Graham, uh-huh. is that when we encounter an annoying one-note character with no redeeming qualities that people seem to like, or when one of the main casts acts extremely out of character, uh-huh. that this man is to blame? Uh, that seems to be the case. So what do you rate this episode? Toilets. Actually, after we were watching it, Kathleen said, I rate this episode an F. And I was like, you normally rate them out of 10. And she's like, I don't care. New system, F. The score on this episode is F Toilet's Poop House. F Toilet's (laughs) Poop House. It's the only string of words that encompasses my hate for this episode. All right. Well, hopefully... Is this the worst episode? It's not actually worse than Adelaide. It's just there's so many mistakes. Mistakes were made. Many mistakes were made. How did this get out of script supervision? I don't know. Hopefully our next episode will be better. It's season two, episode 10, The Taking (laughs) of Dick McWilliams. All right. I like it better already. Although we liked Mad Buck Gibson. I still like the name. Not enough to pull it out of the poop house. No, apparently not. Uh, The next episode, by the way, uh, probably going to have to take a one-week hiatus for PAX Prime. I 
only just realized because, of course, we leave on Thursday and come back on Tuesday. Right. That means that the time that we would normally watch the episode of Magnum and then record the podcast, we will be at PAX. Yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, no Magnum rewatch next week, but we'll be back uh, the week after with The Taking of Dick McWilliams. Uh, as always, the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. Don't take a dick without asking. No. As always, the Magnum Rewatch Podcast is brought to you by you. Wait, wait, wait. What was Bad Bug Gibson rated on Magnum Mania? 8.5. Rah! You may continue. By you on our kind su- <laughs> on your kind support from your kind support supporting kindly. <sighs> Patreon.com slash loading ready run is our crowdfunding page which supports not only the Magnum Rewatch podcast, but also a variety of screams and annoyed noises made by me in response to this man. And things like Fight the Future and Tap Tap Concede and the Loading Ready Run podcast and the Crap Shots and our live game streaming and many other things as well. So thank you very much. We appreciate your support if you can check that out. Until next time, Zeus, Apollo, fetch me my cervical collar and sling and some quinine or something, presumably Higgins' outdated medicines. That's for malaria. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You don't think that he took, like, quinine in the war? Yeah, but not for a cervical collar thing. Yeah. He's probably he's delirious. He got concussed. Oh, he had second true. degree abrasions. It makes sense to me. And oh. theme. All right. I do want to say I love my dad. My dad may be the kind of man who upon pulling a shopping cart out from like the shopping cart dispensers will like hop on like the back and ride it across the parking lot or be the kind of person who thinks that if brute force doesn't work you're not using enough the point being my dad's a lovely man and has a nuanced character and a lot of really great redeeming traits and even though mad buck gibson reminded me of my dad i'd just like to point out that my dad is not the kind of asshole who would go uh hang gliding to molokai and then disappear without a trace so let's all raise a glass to my dad who Mad is, Dave DeVere is not this asshole. Hooray.